Well, um, we are in 1 Kings chapter 1 today, and Lord, we ask now that you would open your word to us to behold wondrous things from it. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Now, King David was old. We all discover he was 70, but he had a difficult life. The guy was a warrior. <laughs> the guy had lived in caves and was on the run for decades from Saul. And he had a rugged, stressful life. And 70 was it for him. He would die at 70. So for him, it, he was well advanced in years. Of course, today, 70 is the new 50. But back in these days, 70 was actually 70. And uh, they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. And then they um, got a young lady to lay with him as an electric blanket and warm him up. This is before electricity. I'm not going to go into that story. But in verse 5, then Adonijah, the son of Agath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Do you, do you remember this? This is exactly what his older brother Absalom had done. Now, David had other sons, but they had died, or we don't know exactly what happened, but uh, Adonijah is the oldest of David's sons right now. And uh, he is presuming big. He didn't think he would get... Uh, exalted any other way. So he exalted himself. And then exactly what Absalom did, the chariots and the horsemen and 50 men running before him. So I, I guess he thought his older brother Absalom did it right. It just, he wasn't the right guy at the right time. But I can do the same thing Absalom did and it'll be perfectly wonderful. Interesting they can note here, and his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. David's wives were gorgeous. David was considered to be a good looking guy. So no doubt they had wonderful looking kids. Interesting. Solomon in the book of Proverbs, I think there's 13 times he gives wisdom how to raise kids. And 12 of them are, just beat them, you know? Just spank them. That was sort of uh, his, his advice, you know? Um, and if you, you were beaten, I'm sorry, it was, it was not meant. I, I, had, I said that one time before, and he goes, my parents actually beat me, I, it was hurtful. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, I'm being humorous here. Um, don't beat your kids. But he basically said, you know, uh, if you don't discipline your kids, a dad who doesn't discipline his child hates him. And David did not have the tools to be a father. He didn't have a close relationship with dad. He never mentions him. He mentions his mother a couple of times, but he didn't have a close relationship with his dad. He never mentions his own father ever. And, um, and so David was... Uh, you know, didn't have uh, the books and the, and the help we have today because there's a lot of broken down families and they don't have the tools to be parents and uh, wait around hoping for the best is not a good uh, policy. You need to, to start 
getting discipled in the area of being a parent. Because if you don't, the kids will raise themselves and it won't turn out good. But it says here plainly that Adonijah exalted himself. And this is something we've talked about repeatedly in the life of David. God takes that very personally. This is something that he himself and his sovereignty touches. As a matter of fact, David would write in Psalm 75, 6 and 7, exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down and he exalts another. So uh, it tells us in Romans 13 that all authority that exists on the earth, directly or indirectly, God has either done it or allowed it, and there is no mistakes being had there. And that God raises, allows evil men to raise up sometimes to uh, spank the people to get them back on track. And that uh, sometimes people that we think, you know, God would not honor their leadership, even though you're right on a character issue, on a godly issue, nevertheless, God says, honor it, because I am honoring it. And uh, it's, it's an interesting discussion, not for now. But the man who exalts himself, the Bible clearly says God's going to humble them. In Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me tell you, when you exalt yourself or presumptuously raise yourself up, you now have to maintain that. <laughs> when God overwhelmingly does it, like in David's case, then God put me there, God's going to keep me there. And, and there is a, a, a great peace as you're uh, now in a very vulnerable place in leadership. Uh, it can be a place of great paranoia, um, but yet God did it. I can be at peace because God is the only one that can undo it. In 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 10 said, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And so the, the key here is, is to humble yourself and say, God, I'm here. This is a desire of my heart to be in leadership. And um, I'm yielding to you to do this. I am... I am waiting on you to touch men's hearts and to stir things up in such a way that it's not me striving to push this thing forward, but to, to see the men of authority to see it and, and raise me up into that place with their blessing. Well, in verse 7 there, Interesting, as we saw it with Absalom, and we've seen it in other stories throughout the Bible, it's always interesting who joins with such rebellious men. He conferred with Joab. This is David's number one top general throughout his entire reign as king. And with Abathar the priest. Interesting. Do you guys remember that story? Back in 1 Samuel 21, when David was fleeing from Saul, he stopped in where the tabernacle was dwelling at that time in a little city called Nob. And the priests were there. And so David stopped in, didn't tell them he was fleeing from Saul, but 
just talked to them and they gave him a little bread and got the sword of Goliath and he headed out of town. But when Saul heard about it, he just assumed the worst that they had betrayed him and he killed everybody, wiped out man, woman, and child in the entire uh, village there. But one guy got away, a little boy by the name of Abathar. We don't know how exactly how old he was, but he ran to David and had the high priest ephod, and that's the only thing he got out of there. And uh, David took him in and, and raised him. He was a, basically uh, a priest, uh, but he was as a part of David's family the rest of his life. But now we see he is betraying David. So, you know, we saw in the first story with uh, Absalom how hurtful it was to David that literally his best friend had betrayed him. And then a number of others that uncharacteristically David wouldn't have thought would have sided with Absalom did. And this is, again, a pretty normal process if you're in any place of leadership. You're always surprised by those who betray you, and you're equally surprised by those who stand with you. And then we see a list in verse 8 through 10 of those who were clearly not asked <laughs> to join um, Adonijah. That's also tell, very telling. So Zodok, the, the priest, uh, did not go with him. So Abathar, the priest, did, but Zodok did not. Benaniah, who would be the future general of Solomon, did not. Nathan, David's uh, good friend and prophet. We have a couple of guys here. We've heard names similar to there, but it's not the guys earlier mentioned, Shammai and Rei. And then, of course, the mighty men of David. They're all probably up in their 70s now. And then the real telltale sign here is Solomon, his brother. But notice what Adonijah does there in verse 9. He says, we're going to go and do a sacrifice of oxen and fatted cattle. And then he says, um, I'm inviting all the family, all my brothers, all the king's sons, all the great men of Judah, and we're going to eat of that sacrifice, which is, again, way over the line. When you would go to the temple to give a sacrifice, there were a couple of sacrifices, such as the peace offering, where you could select, once the priest had prepared the meat, you could select a portion, and he would barbecue that up for you, and you would sit with the priest in a counseling appointment, basically, and you guys would eat meat together. Uh, it was the Atkins diet at this time. And... Uh, and, uh, and they would eat meat together and fellowship, and it was a spiritual discipleship time. But here, Adonijah taking up the role, saying, hey, I'm going to sacrifice all these animals. We're going to have a big feast with the sacrifices to God, which is serious business. And notice in verse 10 again, he did not invite Nathan, Benaniah, the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. He's, he's dividing Understand, he's dividing the priesthood. He's dividing his own family. This, is, this doesn't get more serious than this. In Proverbs 16, or 6, 16 to 19, God said there's six things I absolutely hate. Actually, there's a seventh thing that is a complete abomination to me. And that is somebody bringing division. And uh, God sees that as serious business. We know from Timothy that sometimes judge, God judges that immediately. 
Sometimes God waits for years to, to deal with that. But nevertheless, um, those who cause division will pay, um, will reap what they've sown and, and will pay the consequences of that. As we saw with Absalom, he thought he was so righteous and David was so unrighteous that David isn't being the king he should be, but yet he would be the king he should be. Interesting that all the stuff Adonai just said about David was true, but it didn't disqualify him from being king. Adonijah, it's not a, a thing. David's dying. He's just seeing a vacuum. He, he realizes that he may not be the chosen son, but why things are weakened, he can jump in there and make the most of the moment and raise him up as king. Well, Nathan hears about this, and he runs to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. Now, Solomon was born back in chapter 12, if you remember, and um, he was the second child of Bathsheba and David. Their first child died, and uh, even though uh, it was a relationship that should have never be, been because it, it started in adultery and it ended by David killing her husband. Nevertheless, we see an amazing grace of God where their next child born, God said, Jedediah, which means beloved of the Lord. And, and God says, my hand's on this little guy that they called Solomon. And... Um, we don't hear anything about Solomon. He's just a quiet creature. We know that he's soak, soaking up the wisdom from his dad. Um, much of what he says in Proverbs, he tells us that he got it from his dad. Um, and so they did have a relationship, and it was the Lord, even though, again, it's sort of mind-boggling that out of all the wives of David, that the wife that would be choose was the wife of adultery and and the murder of her husband, and that union is where the next great king would come from. It shows greatly the nature of God, that God really is the God of second chances, and that God really is the God who turns all things around for good if we repent and surrender to him. No matter how big of a mess, no matter how deep of a hole, God is greater. Amen to that? So, he tells Bathsheba what Adonijah's up to and says, David has no idea. He's on his deathbed. And let me give you some advice here. And if you don't act quickly, Solomon's dead. Your, your young boy, I, I think Solomon is probably in his teenage years, maybe at this time, maybe older, we don't know. But um, Adonijah, he's going to kill everybody off. Uh, you know, he's, this guy's in the flesh, and he's going to do the normal way of doing things, which is just killing all the possible rivals off. So you need to go immediately to David, tell him what's going on, that Adonijah has proclaimed himself king, and that if he doesn't do something quickly, um, they're going to die. And so Bathsheba did exactly that, and then as she was telling him, Nathan had said to her, I'm going to come in and interrupt you in the middle of this and say the same thing. Now, you might say, well, that's a little manipulative. You know, David wasn't a politician. <laughs> and, and what's clear here is, is David didn't have the tools to deal with his kids and there's certain things that, that he 
was very weak at, and one was um, planning for the future on certain events. He was amazing in the moment, especially if it's a battle, he could snap to it, and the adrenaline starts pumping, and he came out with masterful plans. But to, to say, hey, I'm, I'm getting old, I'm getting sick, you know, we need to start a plan of transition here so everybody understands what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and, and uh, so there, there's, not, I don't, there's not a vacuum created where guys will try to, to fill that vacuum and, and the will of God and the will of the king, which one and the same in this case, um, doesn't happen. And so um, this happened, and, and David now, even though he's on his deathbed in verse 28, he answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. She came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, assuredly Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so certainly I will do to this day. So David had made it clear to his inner circle that Solomon was to be the next king, but it wasn't to anybody else. So Bathsheba bowed her face to the earth, paid homage to the king, said, let my Lord King David live forever. That's interesting because my wife did exactly that same thing last night. Wow, okay. Where'd you go, honey? Anyway, verse 32. So David now sets up a clear transition. He does this exact thing. He, he, he says, hey, Zodok, here's what I need you to do. Nathan, here's what I need you to do. Ben and I, here's what I need you to do. And, and go grab um, these leaders and take Solomon, ride him on my mule. This a mule was a, a crossbreed animal. There weren't that many of them. And uh, they were very valuable at this time. And in verse 34, therefore Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed him king over Israel, blowed the horn and said, long live King Solomon. So notice the clear transference of power. David, unfortunately, wasn't strong enough to be there, but these guys on behalf of David laid hands on him uh, to become the next king. You know, this is an interesting point, just to pause here at the end of verse 34. And that is, godly men, they absolutely see the essential blessing of those in authority over them as necessary. Those who don't, they don't need it. They, they see themselves like it, it's, it's a spirit of the devil. It really is. In Isaiah 14, Lucifer says, I will be raised up. I will be as the most high God. And now you see Absalom saying, I will be. And now Adonijah, I will be king. Not above the king, but I'll be the king. And it, it, it's, it's a demonic thing. I know when uh, I was at Horizon, and uh, I had actually been on staff with Ray Bentley as the pastor of Horizon for some years. But then Mike Mack decided to come back. Mike McIntosh decided to come back and take over as pastor. Ray Bentley went to Mira Mesa and took a giant part of the church uh, with him. And so there was just a, a group of us in, in North Park. And even though I loved Ray and we're very good friends to this day, I just didn't feel led at that time 
to, to go with him. And, but Mike didn't know me. <laughs> but he came back, and with Bill Goodrich, they're like, hey, yeah, you know, we're glad you're here. We want you to continue here. But we feel that at some point, you're just going to start a church. I hadn't really known these guys. And at that time, God had been speaking to me. But there was a group of us that at that time felt like that's what the Lord was doing. But we had all said, if we did not have the absolute joyful blessing of Mike McIntosh, because he's now our new authority, even though we had only been there with him a few weeks, we would never do it. And it was just a, it was just a very clear thing in, in our mind that, that you, you, you had to have the blessing and the hands laid upon by those in authority. And I'll tell you what, when uh, Mike sent me out, it was at a time when the church was in a very weak place. And uh, he brought me before the church and with joy said, everybody in South Bay, join Brian. And uh, about five people did, but um, <laughs> I was 24, pretty green behind the ears. And, um, but um, it was just such faith, you know, but I, I had the blessing. You see that with Jacob, how he wrestled from his brother Esau, the blessing of Jacob. You see Jacob laying hands on each of his kids. Uh, it's an essential step. Adonijah, he didn't care. No, I just want to get the position. I just want to be the king. But yet, um, Solomon got these hands laid upon him. And in verse 35, then you shall come out up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaniah, the son of Jodiah, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord the king say to you, as the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon, make his throne greater than the throne uh, of my Lord King David. That was David's heart. I, I want God to do even greater things in the next generation with my son Solomon. And so in verse 38, Zodak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the Jodiah, the Jerothites, that's David's personal bodyguards, and also the Pelethites, went up and had Solomon ride on a king's donkey and took him to Gihon. And Zodok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle, anointed Solomon. They blew the horn. And, and notice here, all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him. And the people played the flutes. And notice, they rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Wow, the earth is shaking. It reminds me of later Solomon writing in Proverbs 29, 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked man rules, the people groan. Well, in 1 Kings now, verse 41, Adonijah was in the middle of their mill, and they were just finishing eating, and Joab, the great general of David, uh, who now was supporting this Adonijah coup, heard all this commotion, and he said, what's going on in the city that we hear this crazy loud uproar? And while he was still speaking, 
there came Jonathan, the son of Abathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are the prominent men. Bring new good news. And Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king, and the king has sent with him Zodak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jodiah, the Sherathites, the Pelathites, and uh, they have made him ride on the king's um, mule. So Adonijah had, uh, you know, three queens of a kind or whatever, but uh, Solomon had the full house, you know, and, uh, and he was going to win this card game. And so he said, oh boy, we're, we're in trouble. And so Zodak the priest and Nathan the prophet anointed him as, at Gihon, and they have gone up from their notice rejoicing. So the city's in an uproar, and this is the noise that you've heard. And in verse 46, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom, and moreover the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name. May he make his throne greater than your throne. And David bowed himself on the bed, and the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day, while my eyes see it. Which sort of gives us the idea that David just planned on dying and letting it sort out on its own, which wasn't a good plan. What do we observe in this story? First of all, that David chose who would be the next king, who would be the one in this transition after him. And notice with joy, he laid hands upon that man. Secondly, David didn't plan ahead, as often was the case, and was forced to do it quickly to stop the evil men and the confusion. Number three, God in his sovereignty allows such men like Adonijah to raise themselves up in order to reveal hearts, purge the kingdom, so that the next king doesn't have such men later on hurting him and his rule. Chuck would always call it the, the blessed subtraction. It's always a hard time. But imagine if Adonijah continued on after Solomon reigned, thinking, yeah, this young punk kid, you know, dad's favorite. You know, I was the oldest son. I should be king. And Joab and, and Abathar and there's others. We all agree that, I, you know, imagine how that would have just constantly weakened uh, Solomon. And so God allows men's hearts to be revealed, to see what's in them, to, to purge them away. So it's a pruning time, a hard time, but yet a necessary time. And David made a plan of transition with the tools and the situation he found himself in, and all those in leadership followed his plan. So it wasn't a great celebration it wasn't well thought through, but honestly, David just hadn't thought about it, and he didn't have the tools. He didn't have the, the, the process in which he could have laid it out in order to, to make it a wonderful, joyful celebration as it could have been. It was with the situation I have, with the amount of time I have, to quickly stop Adonijah, here is, and it, it, was, an, it was a good plan for the situation, but it really wasn't a great plan. And God honored David's choice, which is also God's choice. Solomon, in many ways, grew to be greater, took the kingdom to greater prosperity. Solomon uh, reigned um, 
was an amazing, amazing generation of prosperity that Israel would never have seen before or since.